What's up, everybody? This is Jelly, welcoming you back to the 90s First Podcasting Network. Today, we have changed the name of our 90s First Take to the 90s First Presents Test Your Might. It is the same program with a much better name. Joining me today is Cicero Holmes and his deck mate, Mr. Chris Clow. Chris, it appears that you're having some trouble with your microphone. Everything going good there? Uh-uh. Yeah. How's that? That better? <laughs> coming through a little clearer? Oh! I think that's coming through a little better. Oh, wow. You need 23rd century bandwidth to be able to, you know, pump audio through as many programs Ooh. as you're using right now, Joey. Yeah, it's just look the way at that. that it goes. Oh. It's a very, very helpful device. <laughs> uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have a podcast together, Discovery yes. Debrief, where you talk about the latest and greatest in Star Trek, the Star Trek Discovery series on CBS. Oh, yeah, most definitely. We hang our hat in, in Discovery. And, but because it's the incumbent show, and that's the one that kicked us all into gear. But uh, we we do it all. We did Lower Decks, the animated show. Um, we did Picard, uh, the the spinoff show that starred Patrick Stewart returning into that role. And um, we're getting ready for new shows like Section Thirty One and Strange New Worlds. There's a lot of great Star Trek stuff coming yeah. out of the pipe. Yeah. Pun intended. Yep. All right, guys, let's go ahead and move into our guts segment. If you think you have the guts to answer this question, then, uh, well, I expect you to answer it. Uh, for today, we are going to do what is your favorite horror, thriller, suspense game of all time? Uh, this is not my category of game, so I'm stepping out here. Uh, but what is your guys' favorite horror, suspense, thriller type of game, uh, that you've ever played? You know, the truth is that that's not really my genre either, but that being said, when a game can manage to actually elicit the kind of terror that it's going for, I tend to notice, I mean, I've played until dawn. I played Until Dawn Rush of Blood, the VR shooter, which was a lot of fun and creepy as hell in its own right. Um, Friday the 13th is a really fun online game with people, uh, and it can get pretty scary and unexpected if you don't know that Jason is coming in behind you, and particularly if the player who is Jason isn't uh, talking smack into his mic and giving it away. Um, Yeah, I I guess that would be even creepier too, especially if you're playing in a dark room. But, um, you know, I, I've never really gotten into the resident evil games. I know that those games are really can, can be legitimately terrifying, especially number seven, when it came out with a VR mode, um, VR just seems really well suited for horror in the right spots, but I have to give the, um, I have to give the edge, the game that I was not expecting to get nearly as invested in as I did. Uh, and, became like pretty scared and, and tense throughout playing the entire thing was alien isolation. Oh man. Oh. That game <laughs> alien is probably one of my all time favorite films. Anyway. Uh, it was a movie I studied in film class in college and, you know, just tried to analyze sort of the authorial intentions of Ridley Scott and the way that the production design tried to tell a story within the story. Uh, I alien 
to me is always just like an onion. You can peel so many layers and discover so many different things about the way that that movie is crafted. And I admire the fact that it's a horror movie, whereas, you know, the second movie is just like an action, crazy, cra- crazy off the wall action movie. And then the third one is just like gross. <laughs> and the fourth one is, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, it was quest and- for peace. <laughs> yeah yeah kind of, but worse right. in a weird way um and then you know the the prometheus prometheus was was what it was and alien covenant was what it was but that first movie um the fact that it was so intimate and terrifying uh a, a haunted house in space where no one can hear you scream i love that so when they announced alien isolation And it finally was released back in 2014. It's been a while now. Um, I really admired the fact that it tried to be in the spirit of that first movie. Um, You know, there's only one alien that's chasing you through the entirety of Sevastopol Station. Um, You can't kill it. At best, you might be able to scare it off if you have a flamethrower. But that's really the only situation in which you'd be able to get rid of it. The, um, the less advanced androids that are all over that station are just as threatening. You can kill them, but um, you know they just have like rubber skin and their eyes light up red. And when you have a bunch of them marching towards you, like saying, you're, you're being hysterical and smacking you and choking the life out of you, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty terrifying moment. And on top of that, you also have human survivors that are trying to stay one step ahead of things and you're watching them be picked off and then you deal with the alien itself and then it's terrifying when you actually do go into a nest and you have to deal with eggs you have to deal with face huggers you better have a shotgun if you want to try and have any chance of handling them but it also told an interesting story that we'd never really seen before about ripley's daughter and um so the fact that it checked all of those boxes while also still being so terrifying while you're playing it um, I love Alien Isolation. I was really hoping that we'd get some kind of a sequel out of it, but even if we never get one, that is a really terrific game on its own. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so favorite is really uh, the thing that is, is bothering me right now because, um, yeah, this this category is generally a whole bunch of nope for me. Uh, so um, I think about games like Alan Wake, Alan Wake was a really good game that was that fell into this into this genre. Um, I did play and finish the first two Resident Evil games. Um, so yeah, um, but I played like uh, maybe two minutes of Five Nights at Freddy's on my phone and was like, oh okay, no, I'm good, I'm done. <laughs> Um, of course, Friday the 13th, Alien Isolation, um, shout out to, uh, my good friend, Lisa Brown. She was streaming this game and I was watching her stream the game and I got terrified through the stream. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. Um, uh, so uh, if there is a game that I continued to play that scared the hell out of me, the name of that game would be Countermeasure from for the Atari 5200 
released in 1982. I am, I am taking it back. I'm old guys. Now, let me, let me, uh, paint you a picture. So the year is 1984. Um, I am eight years old. I have the Atari 5200. I have this game countermeasure. Um, it's about tanks and you've got to get to a missile silo and, um, put in the correct code to stop the missiles from launching out of the missile silo. But you have no way of knowing what the code is. When the missiles launch and they shoot and, uh, and it, you blow up, the kill screen is a skull and crossbone and, you know, pixelated skull and crossbone and this really bad uh like you know uh midi music that was that like basically it told you that the world is over right and you were the one that that uh caused the extinction of humanity now um a nuclear missile was a very real thing to be terrified of in 1984 so this this game gave me legit nightmares. I distinctly remember r running into my parents' bedroom in tears, telling them that this game scared me. And they told me to, well, that's the game you got. You got to go and play it. And that was, and that was what happened when you were a kid in the 80s. And you played this game countermeasure. It was terrifying because you were afraid that the nuclear bombs were going to explode. And that's much more terrifying than Michael Myers or, or Freddy Krueger. I almost said Freddie Jackson, but um, that's a different type of terror. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. right. With that, let's move on to our next segment. Uh, what have you guys been playing? What kind of games you've been playing? Um, Cicero, let's go ahead and uh, let's start with you. What have you been up to? What have you been playing lately? Um, well, let's see. So uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I like this game called Elite Dangerous. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, so uh, I'm playing Elite Dangerous in vr transformative um it is a a sight to behold it, it is a relevatory experience um i i really am not understating it as as a person who has played hundreds of hundreds and my steam account says over a thousand hours of this game that's not true. It's 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 really only hundreds and hundreds of hours and not a thousand hours um, uh, just based on how they measure measure your game time. But nonetheless, as someone who has played this game a lot, um, I thought I really understood what the game looked like. Um, but when you're in VR and they really present they open up that third dimension for you in the game the sense of scale for the ships that you're in is is mind-blowing 
it is just it is something that you you never really understood and it and it like it's almost a letdown to not play it in VR when you when when you, yeah so i mean you can go back um and, you know and definitely like if your headset's a little uncomfortable or you know whatever your battery's running low um you can definitely go back but you you would prefer to stay in that world um i've had a couple of issues with it but like uh vr hotis and voice attack and you know so i'm talking to my ship i'm flying with a, a stick and a throttle in in vr with the giant scale it is just sublime uh so uh i think i like it guys um <laughs> but the other game that i've because yeah yeah so uh what else i've been playing is uh, a little game called Watchdogs Legions uh, just released? The new Watchdogs. Um, really early in the game, I've recruited a couple of people. Um, tried to recruit one person and failed the mission. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm still super, 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 super early in the game. But it is fun. It is very, very beautiful. Um, but it is it is really fun, and you can, like they said, you can recruit anybody, and and like that that gimmick that mechanic works. Nice. That sounds like a pretty yeah. sweet game, Cicero. Uh, Chris, what uh, what games you've been playing? What has been tickling your fancy lately? Uh, so in one respect, I'm a glutton for punishment, and in another respect. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with with something new that just dropped. Both of them IP based. Um, I'm still playing Avengers. There's sometimes where I don't know why I'm still playing Avengers, <laughs> but um, no, I mean part of it is that uh, with superhero games, I go all in. Like I usually buy at least three copies of a superhero game when it comes out. Wow. Um, one for each platform and major platform at least. And then um, like a physical collector's edition. That's how much I go in for superhero games. And the Avengers was no exception. I played and beat the campaign on Xbox one. I got a captain America to level 50 and then I started all over again on the PS4 because the campaign is solid. Um, the story can get a little simplistic at times and there are just kind of stupid things that it doesn't want to explain. Um, and it throws a little shade at the comics in a couple places, which I don't understand, but the, <laughs> the, the core element of the story that follows Kamala Khan as the new Ms. Marvel, um, basically trying to reassemble the Avengers after several years where they think Captain America's dead. Those broad strokes of the story are good. It's uh, it's the end game that's the problem. Um, Captain playing Captain America, who is my favorite Marvel character, is enough of a draw to keep me coming back. And on PlayStation, you know, eventually you're going to get Spider Man, so I'll want to try that. Even though I'm really disappointed that they decided to lock Spider Man behind a specific platform, I think that that's not mincing words. I think that's a stupid choice. Right. Um, but I am intrigued to see what the game does with him, especially considering that 
the environments are all like open air stuff. It doesn't seem like you'd be able to do a ton of swinging with a character like Spider-Man. And a lot of his locomotion is kind of dependent on that. But um, throwing the shield with Captain America is fun. But there are several limitations in the combat system. And uh, enemies can cheese you way too easily, like from all across the map. Homing missiles or teleportations. Just it doesn't feel like any amount of skill that someone would be able to cultivate with the combat system would be able to overcome crazy shenanigans like that. And that's frustrating. I'm hopeful. Yeah, right. I'm hopeful that they're they're going to um, refine it a little further, but it's definitely not a good look. They've delayed the new gen version of the Avengers into next year. It was supposed to be day and date with the launch of the new consoles. And now that's not going to happen. They have pushed additional content that they were planning into some pretty nebulous release phases. Um, There are some people who think that it's going to go free to play, which is kind of a death knell for it. The community on PC, on Steam, I think, got down to a 1,000 active players, or under a 1,000 active players online, which is not a good move for a game that just came out in September. Right. So they've got work to do. I mean, they've got me already because I'm a comic book nerd, and I want to see how those kinds of exploitations go. And I'm planning on developing um, an episode of my comic book video gaming podcast, Comics on Consoles, that talks about Avengers because there have been three Marvel games released on consoles this year. Um, well, or there's going to be three. The first one was Iron Man VR, which was actually really good. Um, and then Avengers. And then now we've got Miles Morales coming out. And um, right now Avengers is the low point, And it makes me sad to say that. Um, as far as other stuff, I mean, I've, I've been dipping in and out of Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Uh, it's fun going back to that, revisiting Sunshine, a game that I think gets a little too much hate. Uh, I actually rather enjoy Sunshine, and Galaxy, yeah. of course, is an, is an all-timer. Um, but also, we were talking before we started recording, I got a new TV, so I've been revisiting some uh, earlier games that have HDR support to see what it, it's really supposed to look like, and um, having a lot of fun riding around in Red Dead 2 again. Uh, nice. That is oh, an, I haven't done. Yeah, yeah. It's an even more beautiful game than than I originally was able to see the first time that I played through it, and um, it's just good to see Arthur again. I didn't think that I that any uh, any other character could or any other game could make me fall in love with anyone other than John. If it's going to be a Red Dead game, and um, man, did they surprise the 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 heck out of me i'll just put it that way and so revisiting that game has been a lot of fun i i think that that's a terrific game an all-timer for the generation actually so um that's what i've been up to yeah well as everyone here knows i am an apex junkie always have been since the day it came out probably always will be that's where i spend a majority of my time if not all of my time uh, so yeah, I've been playing Apex, uh, a little bit of Magic the Gathering because it's free on PC, and my buddy just got me back into WoW after a, I don't know, 12 or 14 year hiatus. So 
been a little bit of wow playing not much because i don't want to have to pay for it so level 20 is free and uh that's all i'm gonna go to i'm gonna go to level 20 and then maybe make a new character i can have as many characters as i want up to level 20 for free but uh but i'm not gonna pay for wow i made the mistake a long time ago for doing that and uh not gonna do it again apex magic the gathering and wow is where i'm stopping all right, with what we've been playing out of the way, gentlemen, how about we jump right into our news segment? Uh, yo, up on the news, we've got uh, we've got quite a few things ahead of us. Let's dive into it. Uh, yo, Nintendo plans to add several games to their streaming catalog. Among them, Control, possibly Resident Evil Three. They are requiring a demo of the streaming games pre-purchase to make sure the internet of the consumers can handle them uh thoughts like is this amazing is this super cool is it weird that you have to try something out for a certain amount of time uh yeah take it away i think it's too ambitious and i don't often say that as a bad thing for for anybody particularly a video game publisher but the hardware that nintendo is working with is limited um you know, the Tegra X1 chipset on the uh, on the Switch. I just have a hard time seeing, especially considering that Microsoft and Sony have, uh, I mean, they've taken pretty drastically different approaches to game streaming. But it took them a while to get to get it to a point where it's uh, it's ready for prime time. You know, I I think Xbox generally does it a lot better, but um, you know, PlayStation now it's it's serviceable. Um, I have a hard time seeing the Switch uh, being able to best something like PS Now. Uh, and but I mean, if they can, if anybody can do it, it's Nintendo because uh, they seem to work really effectively within some of their hardware limitations, and they just kind of incorporate that into um, into whatever it is that they're putting out. And it's not even a concern that uh, a piece of their hardware is being stretched to its limits. Uh, they still make good games as a result, but when it comes to the the fac- to facilitating the streaming of games that they didn't develop, um, it just seems I would be really surprised if it worked the way that they wanted it to. Um, but they've surprised me before, so we'll see what happens. All right. Yeah. So, uh, man. This is so weird for me because, like, I just keep circling back to control. Like, the fact that they're trying to put control on the, on a Switch, um, you know, ostensibly. And Witcher 3 was, was on a Switch. Um, but I feel like Witcher 3 was released in a different time. It was in the before times, right? Like, where, where the prospect of using... Even though, like, you know that you're taking, you're making a lot of concessions to play this game on this hardware, but the but the benefit to playing it on this hardware is, oh, I can go when I'm, you know, commuting and I hit my hit the coffee shop, I can play, you know, thirty minutes of The Witcher, uh, and that's going to be awesome, and I would be mm-hmm. able to do that yeah. with, with control, presumably, um, and like. I know that's still a reality for people somewhere, um, but for many people, leaving your home 
isn't re- like having something be portable so that you can enjoy your experience, the same experiences outside of your home is is something that has less appeal right now. Um, probably less appeal than it's ever had, um, you know, at, at, at right. Less and, people and going so, out and about right now. Um, I just don't see where that audience is for that. And also, like, if so, if I'm staying home and I'm like, all right, well, this is still convenient because now I can play control in my bed. Right. Like. If that is what you wanted to do, you've probably already played Control, and there are probably other platforms that you could use that are also in your house where you could play Control, and it is going to be a much better experience. Um, like, you don't need to make those concessions. Yeah. So it's just very, very weird for me. But But lots of things that Nintendo does, I scratch my head at. And and they just keep counting money. So, you know, what do I know? That's fair. Yep. They 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 are very good at making money. Yes. If nothing else, they know how to do that. <laughs> uh all right. Let's swing right into I'm gonna combine our next two points because they're kind of related. Uh biggest news that we've had since the last week was the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven further delay. Uh, they came out publicly. Hey, we're not making we're, we're not making the mark right now. We're behind where we want to be. The game is done, but we need to do all the all the beautifying things, right? Uh, and it's kind of what we've seen across the board from a bunch of different developers. Uh, COVID has affected the gaming industry far more than I think anyone thought it would, and far more than anyone wanted it to to begin with. Uh, so kind of just round table on thoughts on delays on good or bad, uh, necessary or not, uh, especially for 2077 cyberpunk. They, they say it's done. They say and it's the game, the, the game is finished. Should they, yeah. Should they give us this, uh, unfinished finished copy and let us decide and then push out, uh, the patches to fix all the issues, uh, but they're not the only one. We've seen a lot of developers. I was going through IGN and just looking at all the ones with all the delay, 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 delay. Uh, yeah, just uh, kind of what are you guys' thoughts on COVID uh, and its effect in the gaming industry? Um, well, it, the, it, COVID's effect on the gaming industry is is similar to to its effect on every piece of the entertainment industry. Um, you know, with, with, with the exception of yeah. writers, uh, every, you know, uh, authors, people who write books, everyone else has been impacted, uh, in, in their ability to, um, to like manufacture their particular form of art, uh, and, and to not necessarily pro- proliferate it, but, but. Uh, maintain the the normal ways of distribution and and engagement with with their piece, with their particular piece of art and you know video games are no different. Um, it's just it, it's it's where we are, right? Like, uh, um, I, yeah, yeah, like 
The cyberpunk true. news is 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 a weird thing. Like it, it really does kind of scream uh, uh, slow news week because it it really was a story for like it hit a couple of cycles, and I know that part of the reason that it hit so many cycles is because it's a game that people are are eagerly anticipating and and the previews have been phenomenal and we were you know just three weeks away and the game had gone gold and all of that stuff uh but they just delayed it another three weeks and maybe they'll delay it again i don't know um but to be honest i don't care like just when when you say the game is done and i can buy it and download it um and play it then it's done and i can download it and buy it and play it and you know and like what 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 like me complaining that the game was late for you know like who cares this game was announced before the ps4 and the xbox one were announced so like you know uh, if three three weeks that's crazy three weeks about. in this in the span of eight years is is really nothing and if they delay it some more it's really nothing if you if you were planning on playing this game if you're excited about this game you will be just as excited to play the game um when the game is released uh, the, as you would have been if had they released it early in fact you may be uh more grateful because the game is released with fewer problems. Uh, the one interesting part about the the announcement for Cyberpunk specifically was that they said that the one of the reasons that they're delaying the game is because they're trying to release it simultaneously on nine different platforms, uh, and the pr- the platforms they're having the biggest problems with are the as of today current gen consoles of the ps4 and the xbox one but the but the ps5 and the xbox series as well as the pc versions of of uh this game are ready to go ready to release they are fine uh is trying to get the xbox one ps4 ps4 pro xbox one x versions of the game to also work well um, to, to make sure that, that uh, everyone is receiving a comparable experience when the game finally launches. Yeah. Chris, COVID and the game It's just, industry. it's a hard Ooh. situation for, for everybody. The entire world is embroiled in uh, a difficulty not seen in uh, a society in over a century. It was bound to leak into every facet of life, including um, a form of entertainment that didn't even exist a century ago. Uh, that seems pretty like a pretty natural occurrence. Yeah. You know, I'm far more troubled when it comes to stories about um, cyberpunk. I'm, I'm way more concerned about um, the, the issues of crunch that have come up at uh, CD Projekt Red. I don't think that that's any way to, to treat your employees. I understand that it leads to some pretty excellent things in terms of the product that's created. Like just look at last of us part two. It was a, one of the most beautiful video games ever released over the last however many years. It was a beautifully polished experience. Is that worth the, the 
trouble and the stress and the potentially broken relationships even that, that people go through. And, and in some cases, uh, the promise of a certain kind of payment that doesn't come through as we see now with Gearbox in, in releasing stuff and their crunch practices. That is way more problematic and troubling to me, especially considering that developers at CD Projekt Red are being asked to go above and beyond, way, way above and beyond in a situation that's already extraordinarily difficult for everybody um, in terms of having to stay home and yeah. all of the things that accompany that. You know, a lot of people are clinical depression rates are up. And when you couple that with an oppressive work environment, what does that do to a person? I think that that's a reasonable question to, to ask. What the, what's the human cost of that that kind of thing? Um, and and game developers, yeah, yeah exactly. We've game developers need to good. be um, they need to be nurtured so that they can deliver the kind of work that we expect, while also understanding that everybody's going through a really difficult ordeal because of this pandemic. Um, so the human cost to me is always going to be the primary concern as interested as I am in cyberpunk, I'm fine waiting a little bit longer if it means that people can have reasonable work shifts and get some time off and can sleep maybe six to eight hours a night, uh, <laughs> things that you expect from a good job. It's, it's just, it, it flies back yeah. into human dignity you know you feel like a person when you're able to function at a normal level and you feel less human when those kinds of stresses become a normal part of your routine you're not meant to operate that way um but in terms of like just the the wider yeah. spread effect on the gaming world honestly i think the approach that microsoft is taking um in the delays for for halo infinite are i think that that's a good step you have enough confidence from that publisher that they don't think that that's necessarily something that they're going to need uh, when the Series X launches. and um, But that it's still a new machine that's going to have an abundance of new features that will make a difference in the lives of the way that people play games, just in the quality of life in terms of just gamers themselves. Uh, and I like that they're willing to push it off to get it right in the midst of everything that's going on right now. I think that that's really what the first primary uh, path should be. And um, so, yeah, it sucks that we have to wait longer for these games that we've been looking forward to in some cases for years, but uh, the trade-off is worth it because we live in very unique times. And I think everybody needs to understand that. Right. Well said, man. Agreed. Yep. I got nothing to add on that. <laughs> We're moving on. <laughs> that was too well said. Uh, guys, let's move into rapid fire. Some quick things to talk about before we go into the debate phase. Yes. Uh, Cicero. The Series, X, the Series X fridge is a real thing. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was you know, Xbox or Microsoft having fun. Right. It's real. Uh, not not only am I going to get one, <laughs> it's upstairs right now, and it's got 12 Terra flatjacks <laughs> sitting in there. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> um, nah, man. Uh, uh, yeah, it is super cool. I, I did watch like the very, very beginning of the video where they were like, we made it. And, you know, like I love I love the fact that, uh, you know, that the 
Uh, Microsoft Social Team has leaned into it. I love that Aaron Greenberg has has leaned into it really hard, uh, and that they've gone out and and now made made the joke a reality. Um, that's super cool. It would definitely like if they've got a mini fridge version of that. I would definitely pick up one of those yes. and put it here in my basement, as because I'm getting a fridge, so I would love a a gaming a, fridge. A, yeah, a Series X, Series, Series X, X mini, mini fridge. fridge. You know, maybe it, it wouldn't be because it'd be too too big for a Series S fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, but it's it's super. Cool. Uh, yeah, agreed, Chris. Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, the suit comes with the Miles Morales DLC expansion. Uh, you stoked on it? Have you seen any of the imagery that they've done with the new suit and uh, and the Miles Morales Spider-Man? Uh, I don't know if it's expansion it's or DLC. It's probably, like, uh, it's, it's just a, a suit that they're including with the game. Um, and it makes perfect sense. In, in Spider-Man PS4, they included a, uh, a Into the Spider-Verse style suit for Peter. And um, it was just like the animation philosophy transferred into into that game. So, look, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is very possibly the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Um, I would probably give it, it, like it's a tough debate in my mind. Spider-Verse was a, so. an extraordinarily strong movie. And Miles, of course, was the key pivotal component to that movie that kept everything together. I love the fact that this character who premiered for the first time really very recently, less than 10 years ago has become such a force of nature in not only in Marvel comics, but now into multiple mediums. And the fact that he is getting his own game after a pretty strong showing as a supporting character in the first game, that's really strong for me. And uh, yeah, throwing the into the spider verse suit in there makes perfect sense. It's a little bit different than the traditional miles suit. Um, but it feels very mm-hmm. much at home in a Miles Morales game, and I'm going to be I'm going to be stoked to put it on and swing around. Nice. I will be jealous of you because I won't have a PlayStation <laughs> to play it on. But <laughs> I will enjoy watching yeah. other people play it on stream. I guess. Uh, yes. <laughs> Cicero. Uh, last time that I was on, we talked about Bug Snacks, and you mentioned that it was a fun party game. There's a fun game that you played. It's coming as the very first game to PlayStation Plus with the PS5. Uh, uh, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Like, that's a way to get that game into people's homes. Like, what we said, uh, or at least what I said uh, the last time we talked about this game, was that I don't think that it's going to be a major franchise. But the best way to get people to play a game that nobody knows about is to kind of give it away. Um, and you know, and you're not really giving it away, but you, you know, you're kind of giving it away. So, uh, it'll be a game that people download. Hopefully people will play it. Hopefully when they, they play it, they like what they see, uh, you know, what they play. And, uh, you know, maybe that, that will get a bug snacks too. Um, carrot nose boogaloo. I don't know. (laughs) Is it going to have a, uh, (laughs) will it have fall guys, uh, explosiveness? Or Among Us explosiveness because it's free with an asterisk free. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with it. We'll see if it takes off or not. Uh, All right, Chris, we finally got to see the PlayStation 5 consumer product 
unboxing, unveiling, and we've been given most of the information now. Uh, now that we've seen what we have seen, which is quite a bit from both of the developers, PlayStation or Series X, which one tickles your fancy uh, most? Well, just right. in terms of what I'm most interested in, there, there, there's two ways that I look at this. All right. And the first is that the reality right now, as we're recording this, is that the new consoles are about two weeks away from being released. By default, PlayStation mm -hmm. is ahead because they're the market leader on that side. And I mean, you can debate all until you're blue in the face, as I would, about the actual features of the machines and how those compare and which one is, is better for, yes. for which things. And I've told both of you guys before, I'm an Xbox first person. Um, and then there is the, the side of it that is just the comparison of the two machines side by side, uh, divorcing the, the concept and the constructs of the consoles themselves from, let's say, the games that are coming out, because really, frankly, neither of them are making a very good launch case for, for picking one up right out of the gate. Really, it's kind of poor showing on both sides, all things considered. But just in terms of the hardware, it's the Xbox. I mean, not only is there, you know, four generations of games being supported, which for me is a really, really big factor in all of this, but it's adding enhancements to those older games. It's bringing an HDR algorithm into play so that games that didn't even support HDR before can support it now. I'm stoked to see what Arkham Knight is going to look like in HDR. Um, that's still a game I revisit on a preposterously regular basis. So <laughs> I, I like I just <laughs> Mike Mike would be <laughs> it's very a great proud game, right now. Uh, regardless of what people say about it. But um, just on the hardware front alone, Microsoft really learned some hard lessons coming out of the launch of the original Xbox One. Um, they knew that Xbox needed to be in first position when it comes to power. That's one of the major things that made the case for the Xbox Absolutely. in its first two generations um, and uh, an ease of development. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that allowed the 360 to overtake the PS3 very early on. Um, so just on that basis alone, look, PlayStation's new controller looks really interesting and it looks like they're doing some pretty innovative things in terms of the haptics and actually creating resistances. Um, I hope that that's, you know, customizable, particularly for accessibility reasons for people, but, um, it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just in terms of the elegance of the design and the feature set that's coming into play and, and everything that they're trying to put into the experience of playing and absorbing games from, different generations, I have to give it to the Xbox. And it's still probably, I don't even know if it's going to be the first one I'm going to be able to get, but I think they're making a really compelling case with it. Yeah, right now it's hard to find anything. There's just nothing in the marketplace. <laughs> if you want to buy one, you got to buy from a scalper. And, and I'm not going to do that. More so than you I'll, want. I'll, right. I'll wait. wait. Exactly. So... So next year, come tax time, when we all have that little extra bit of cash in our pockets, we'll be able to pick yeah, up uh, yeah, maybe both know. systems at the same time, hopefully. <laughs> Gentlemen, it is time for Test Your Might, the namesake of the show itself. Are you guys ready? Yes, sir. Yes. We're about to pitch you against each other for the first time. Hopefully not the last time, <laughs> but for the first time. <laughs> 
and I'm causing it, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, jumping right into it. With Netflix coming out with video game-related content, is this what we as gamers are looking for? Is this what we want? Do we want our beloved games turned into shows or movies, or do they belong in the video game world where we get to be the one to play out these adventures? Uh, Chris, you're up first, and... As a fun thing, I got to choose which side you guys were on for this. So you guys didn't really get to prepare too much for the arguments because I got to choose who took which side. Are you guys ready? Yes. Oh, all right. Yeah. Chris, you're up. Look, whenever a, uh, a well-known game property can make the jump into another medium, I think that it's always it's always a good thing because it allows for uh it at least it potentially allows for you to see something that you conceivably already love in an entirely different light um you know video game adaptations don't have the greatest reputations but that i don't think that that's enough of a case to stop doing them because in some cases those adaptations can work really well. And I think the most recent example that illustrated that very effectively was the Witcher show on Netflix. Um, Henry Cavill was a, was a great choice for the lead in that. And it was a series that had enough resources put into it that it was able to approximate the world that originally appeared in the games to a point where it was not only recognizable to the people that played those games, but it took those concepts and ran with it in uh, an entirely new medium, and it, it it embraced the strengths of those mediums. You know, sometimes when you take in a story in a video game, with a, a few exceptions, of course, um, it can come off as potentially hokey or melodramatic. Uh, there are several games where I can point out that that's not been the case, uh, but those I think can be largely exceptions to the rule instead of. Um, instead of the norm. But that being said, the potential for not only expanding the audience of a particular type of game by creating another media adaptation, um, but just the, the if you have someone that has a strong enough vision for seeing what that transference can, can be like, then it can be really cool. I can think of several different video game series that I would love to see adapted into another medium because it will potentially allow for it, it can be like a two-way street the video game medium can see what works in an adaptation and potentially tinker with its own formula to serve a greater narrative purpose and then you have games that create new material that have the potential to be adapted in the future so i love the concept as long as it's taken seriously enough to uh, to underlie an adaptation or underwrite an adaptation, I should say, uh, you open up the world and the characters of a video game to an entirely different set of creatives who might be able to take those concepts that were originally explored in an interactive environment and create a more a more passive but potentially a more meaningful experience out of it. Now, I don't want to take away from the, the meaningfulness that you can get in playing a game. I really do firmly believe in the artistic capability of video games to really put you in the mindset of the person that you're playing as. 
that's a unique element to a narrative fiction that is uh, that you can only find in video games. But pulling the camera back and examining that world from a, a higher altitude is something that an adaptation would be really good at. And, uh, and I don't think you should cut off your nose to spite your face by saying, look, we should never adapt video games into other mediums. They belong in video games. No, it's just, it, it adds to the artistic, uh, expressive capability of a particular type of game when it makes the jump into a new medium. And I don't think that we should be, uh, I, I don't think that we should cut ourselves off from that potential. Chris, um, you know what I did after I watched uh, The Witcher on Netflix? No. I went and played The Witcher 3. <laughs> you know why? Because as great as Henry Cavill is, and he is fantastic, um, as wonderful as his portrayal was, uh, and it was uh, award-winning, um, as great as those sets were, as... Um, as intriguing as that story was, it was not my story. It was not the story that I got to to experience, that I got to craft when playing The Witcher 3, which is what got me excited to watch the series on Netflix in the first place. Not to say that I was disappointed by that series, but it could not replace my experiences because the games are the games because of your level of immersion. That's what makes them great. Uh, the Resident Evil movie franchise is a Resident Evil movie franchise in name only. It, it is it's its own thing. That started and began with a thing from a video game, but it smartly knew that all we, all we can do is we can pull source, we can pull uh, images and names from the source material, but we, we're not here to recreate that. Uh, and as a result, it will never be as great as the source material. It will be good. It will be fun. But the only thing it will do is remind me that I need to go back and and experience the the thing from which this was inspired. Um, these these things are great. And, and much like uh, in your argument, you didn't want to take away from the experiences that you get from video games. But in some ways, you made my argument for me by saying that they're unmatched, they're wholly unique to the gaming experience. And you're absolutely right. And these these experiences, while great in in this non-interactive medium of of you know streaming and theatrical streaming television and theatrical releases, it's fantastic to see some of your favorite actors playing some of your favorite characters and 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 doing them justice, um, they will never do them as much justice as you do when you are the director and you are the actor and you get to, to say action and cut. 
All right. Gentlemen, those are some good arguments. Thank you, sir. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to decide who won. The listeners get to. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a all right. Uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of my role as the host. I just pawn it off on the audience and hey, you guys choose the winners and then, you know, tell the losers they lost and the winners they won on their socials. <laughs> All right, with the uh, the new consoles, the uh, we've got the PlayStation Five and the Xbox Series X, supporting the fastest refresh rates we've ever seen in a console, and coupled with the highest resolutions we've ever seen from a console. Uh, which is the most important? And here's the key to the average gamer. Uh, Chris, you went first last time, so Cicero, this one is yours to take, but. Just like before, you, sir, are on the side of resolution. Oh, so before I was so, on the side of resolution, uh, I, listen, I resolve to tell the truth, the whole truth <laughs> and nothing but the truth. And the truth, sir, is that to the average gamer, the average gamer goes out and spends hundreds of dollars on a console, right? They bring it home. They show their significant other, their sibling, their friends, they want to show it off to people. Um, they're not showing off smoothness. They're showing off pretty, right? I've got this 4K display. I've you know I've got all the shinies. I've done all that stuff. I want somebody to see my game. I put my game on on my new console. See it on my television. And I just want them to stare at it like uh, Mugabo, Mugabe in uh, right. Yes, it's beautiful. Like when, 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 uh, when you know, in Zoolander, when he saw you know Magnum for the very first time. Uh, you know, like I just want somebody to stare at it, and and a solitary tear just rolls down their cheek <laughs> that's what the average gamer wants and and you know and it's like yeah i could sit and i could pick it up and it could be smooth but if it looks the same as the other ones like yeah you know i mean it's yes it's smoother it, like it i think yeah maybe i think it looks like it moves a little bit better but like i want somebody to to see me playing nba 2k 21 and and say yo what game is on and and that comes from the resolution. All right, Chris, why are screen tears bad? Let's hear about it. You know, it's funny. It's funny that Cicero talks about resolution being king when the last conversation was about adapting a video game, and he made a very compelling case for why you need to lean on the strength of video games and keep them in their own medium. Same thing applies here. You can look at something that is gorgeous at the highest possible rendering resolution, but it's not going to mean anything if it doesn't feel good while you're playing it. And the fact of the matter is that when you reach a high refresh rate, a high frame rate, there is an element of wow to that, to the feel of a game, to the responsiveness of a game that is wholly separate from, from a raw resolution. And when you can play a game, particularly at a high resolution, coupled with a high refresh rate, 
that is really the key to a next generation experience. And it's something that we just haven't been able to see at such a high level before. The major console manufacturers for the new generation are talking about frame rate in the same sentence, in the same phrase as resolution now, because they understand the importance of the responsiveness of a video game. There's a reason that the most powerful video game franchises on the planet, uh, shooter franchises, namely like Call of Duty, will not ship without a 60 FPS frame rate. It's because that allows for a premium game, uniquely gaming experience that uh, is not able to be replicated in something else. You want that quickness, especially in a competitive game. But even when it's not a competitive game, the smoothness of the action really dictates the responsiveness. And that, to me, is what primarily dictates immersion. You can get into it if you feel like you are moving in lockstep with the player character. So I'm not going to say that resolution is a non-issue because it's not. But if you're going to have those high resolutions, it's not going to look good at all if it's juddering at 20 frames a second. You just don't want that. It will look ugly. Even if it's at 8K, it's not going to look good. It needs to feel good, too, if it's going to be in a video game. And that's why you need a high refresh rate. Gentlemen? Well argued. Yeah. Again, onus not on me to decide. <laughs> uh, we're gonna. Or I think we're gonna leave it there. I mean, I'm happy with that, and uh, I think the listeners can definitely make a decision based off those arguments. Let's jump right into uh, the theme of the season here: Halloween, right behind us as of this recording, and having already talked about in our opener the uh, the favorite games of the horror genre. Uh, pitch to me the best horror-themed movie or TV show that deserves to be made into a game. Now, Cicero, you went first on the last one. So, Chris, this one's yours to begin with. Look, it's going to be an iterative answer, but I said it at the top of the show. I want a sequel to Alien Isolation. Um, it is something that we have seen before in the first game, obviously. But the fact of the matter is that game made such a strong showing and the concept is just so well designed for a video game that we, I mean, we saw a glimmer of the potential in the first game, but there is so much more room to explore just how terrifying xenomorphs are, especially if you're in an environment where it's you against one of them. We've seen the sort of balls to the wall action alien games where you're trying to play as a group of colonial marines shooting at aliens and predators um you know i still have nightmares about aliens colonial marines incidentally enough but um now alien isolation it was strong enough on that first showing i really do believe that it needs it, it needs a follow-up of some kind it left enough threads hanging at the end of the first one provided a uniquely terrifying experience tied to a franchise that a lot of people have a lot of affection for already uh, give us more of that. Yes, there are plenty of other series that can make the jump, but um, I don't think there's anything wrong with strengthening that the the kind of jump that those things can make with an Alien Isolation sequel. That's what I want. All right. Cicero, what have you got from the depths so, of horror? So uh, is this a series that has already been turned into a game, or are we just talking about a series... Uh, or movie 
that we'd like to see turn into a uh, I will allow it because Chris just made an excellent uh, argument for a, a sequel to a game that doesn't exist yet. So the game doesn't exist and Alien certainly does exist. Uh, so you can right. you can jump on that uh, same train if you got a sequel in mind. Right. Uh, if it if it belongs well, to well, a movie, so or a I don't show. I do right. I don't have a sequel in mind of a video game a a series that has already been adapted into a video game. I have a new video game that I would like to I'm pitch ready. to you, sir. The audience is ready. Uh, this is this is this is not this is more psychological horror. Um, this would be get out the video. Get out. I'm not playing it. No, (laughs) in, in a telltale style, uh, choose your, you know, not necessarily choose your own adventure, but, uh, but that you're, you're going to be, there will be branching dialogue options. So goosebumps. And then, and then you will, yeah. So you will make decisions and, your the the magnitude of how deep into the sunken place you are will be determined by the choices that you made throughout the course of uh your 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 playthrough um yeah i think that would be i'm gonna let you right now and, yeah, I'm not know right now. I'm not playing either of these games, by the way. But uh, Chris, Chris, why is uh, Aliens <laughs> scarier than uh, than a you know a mind bender, if you will? Because of the immediate threat of physical danger. Um, look, Get Out is one of the the best horror movies released in the last forty years, as far as I'm concerned, and it's not outright horror. It is very much psychological horror. Uh, in addition to everything else that it plays with. It is uh, a masterclass in how you create psychological horror. I'm not sure if that would transfer as effectively into a video game format. Uh, that doesn't mean that it couldn't be good. It absolutely could be. Uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't poo-poo the idea. I think that that's actually a pretty brilliant idea, Cicero. I still think that I would tend towards Alien because we know how tense of a, of a, of an actual gameplay experience it provides. Uh, and there's still a lot of material from the original film series that has not been even hinted on in a, in a video game environment yet. Uh, that threat of physical danger coupled with the ambience of an abandoned space station, as we saw in the first game or an abandoned ship, as we saw in the first movie, while that creature is stalking you, and you know that there are very few pathways to survival, that tension uh, stays with you over the entirety of your experience playing Alien Isolation. And I think that that's what keeps people coming back to it as sort of a weird anxiety simulator, but it's also (laughs) just got a really great artistic acumen to it in terms of its visual design and in terms of the way that you actually do play the game. It's a hard game to play, it's a harder game to beat, but when you do beat it, um, you feel a, 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 a sense of accomplishment. And I know that that phrase in gaming has taken on a new meaning of terribleness in recent years. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is that in Alien Isolation, it does make you work for it. And it feels like a genuine sense of accomplishment when you can say, wow, I got my character through that. That's pretty awesome. 
and Cicero. Why is Get Out as scary as it is? What are we going to experience in this game? Uh, why, why is it as scary it is, as it is? Um, it it, it kind of goes back to, I'm going to call back to eight-year-old Cicero playing Countermeasure. Um, one of the reasons that that game was was so scary to me was because the existential threat that it was um, that it was promoting, that it was displaying in the game was real to me. Uh, and that's why Get Out is so real is because it is a, a heightened version of something that is uh, real-ish, real enough uh, that uh, that the thought of you trying to, to navigate yourself through this weekend with your girlfriend when everything seems just just off like just enough to make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up a little not enough to make you clearly want to leave immediately like you have to extricate yourself but to give you that sense like if you've ever had that feeling when you left your house that you're that you're forgetting something but you can't f- remember what it is that you've forgotten to the point where you're like, oh, I I didn't forget something. It's, you know, I'm just being paranoid. And then you leave and you go to wherever it is that you're going. And then you remember what it is that you forgot. And that thing, while it doesn't stop you from doing what it is that you need to do necessarily, it is very debilitating that you don't have that thing. And it now is consuming all of your all of your extra energy and thoughts. So your your thoughts are still focused on whatever task you have, but all of your extra energy is focused on the fact that you have forgotten that thing. That's what the get out video game would all right. be like. Again, reiterating, I'm not playing these games. Listeners, <laughs> you choose uh, Aliens, Terror, One Way to Get Out. You're definitely going to be uncomfortable. Or Get Out, where you're also going to be unbelievably uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm not. Sorry, they're just not for me. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, let us know. Instagram, Twitter, any social media. Uh, which one you're playing, because I'm not playing them. Uh <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna move on. Same uh, same sort of question. You're gonna pitch me a game, or pitch me. A, you're gonna make a pitch. So reversing the All question. Right. So from yes, down from uh, from movie to game, or game to movie. We're going the other way. Which game? Any right. game now. Though, opening up off the horror genre. Uh, which game deserves a TV or streaming? series show or movie uh cicero you get to go first but yeah what what game have we played that we believe deserves uh I, i'm i'm probably just gonna say show here because that show is the only way you can do anything justice so right. what game needs a show to show off what everyone else has not gotten into yet 
Man, all right. So, guys, peep the echo on this one. I'm going to go. There's not in a million years would anyone uh, predict what I'm about to say. (laughs) So I'm going to say it and blow your minds. Keep your heads together because they're about to be blown. (laughs) I would love to see a Beyond Good and Evil 2 show. All right. Before, yes. but wait, bef- before so we get into two, it, let's let Chris pitch right. his, and then we'll then we'll argue okay. which one's better. Chris, okay. So I'm a little undercut because what I was thinking because I've been thinking about this question for years. <laughs> what I was thinking would make the the best kind of a transition, and in terms of the style, how that how it would make that transition, they're kind of doing a lot of what. I thought would be good for this particular game series in uh, in the Mandalorian, um, which is just such a solid, different sort of take and extension on the Star Wars universe. Um, thank God for the Mandalorian, especially coming out of the Rise of Skywalker. I'll just say uh, that. But um, <laughs> if you guys are, who are listening yeah. have not watched the Mandalorian, even if you don't like Star Wars. Go watch The Mandalorian. It is good in its own right. It stands in its own right. It doesn't have it's, to have a Star it's, Wars label. It's just, it's just oh my a God, Western. It's, good. it's just a Western. It's just a Western with crate dragons and Tuscan Raiders, right? I mean, yes, holy. Yes. There's a little bit of Star Trek in that. I'll talk to you about that later, Cicero. But, yes. Uh, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. You know <laughs> yes. All right. But, um, but you can also see where my head's at because I've been talking this entire podcast about the strength of the Alien franchise. And. It's almost the, the the game that I'm thinking of is almost like an alien Mandalorian hybrid. And it's very simple. It's one word. Metroid. Metroid Prime. Oh I wow. Really do think that Samus uh and her exploits as a bounty hunter across space, uh dealing with terrifying life sucking parasitic organism just for starters, would be a great jumping off point for an episodic form. All right. Cicero, we're going back to you. Why yes. do we need... No, I forgot what I said. Beyond, beyond good and evil. <laughs> um, well, so I, I, I think that series, uh, and, and specifically too, because the first one, first one was great, and I think the first one would make like is a great jumping off point for a uh an an episodic television show in that art style um where they could do lots of different things but beyond good and evil 2 brings takes that world and creates a universe right creates a galaxy so now you can actually travel to different worlds and so that opens up the the possibilities and the prospects for different stories not necessarily infinitely, but 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 tremendously. Um, so I think that you know you've got uh, very uh, unique and marketable characters, uh, and uh, there are lots of different stories. I think that they are striking and would would make for great fodder uh, on um, for young kids 10 to 12 you know tweens teens to 
young adults and old farts, even like me, um, that would all sit down and, and watch a show like this, a la Star Wars Rebels or, you know, some one of those other genre shows that is, you know, on the Disney XD, you know, radar, but is watched by this by many, many different demographics. Gotcha. All right. Chris, swinging back over to you. Uh, Samus, Metroid. Why? Yeah. Uh, because there is a great deal of potential in the story. Like, Metroid as a series has never been super heavy on, um, on actual outright story, except for one instance that was not particularly well regarded by fans of the series in its most recent entry. That being said, I think there are some fair, uh, there's a fair amount of good lessons to take away from something like Metroid other M in terms of how you tell a story with Samus, but you also just lean on what her own background is. She's a colonist who saw her, uh, family and all of her other fellow residents murdered uh, on a, a planet by or in the K2L colony by Ridley. Uh, so she already has this strange hybrid of anxiety and fear that's dedicated just solely to Ridley. But then you also have the fact that she was wounded. She was taken in by uh, an ancient race of alien beings who gave her her power suit and who infused her with their own DNA to turn her into just an extraordinarily capable warrior. That's enough of a starting point for a character to go on an intriguing journey. You know, she spent time in the military and um, it gave her an, an additional layer of skills that she then uses but the structure, the command structure of the military was just, it, it was too cumbersome for her. And she knew that she could do more by acting on her own. Uh, and she found a really uh, gainful uh, uh, avenue of her employment because of that. But also, too, there are threats perpetrated by the space pirates that, Really, only she can answer, and we've seen that in the games. But there's also just Metroid is a series that is defined by its atmosphere. And when you have the very interesting backstory that's already been laid down for Samus and what she has decided to devote herself to, coupled with a best in class atmosphere going back to the original NES, I mean, it was still, even comparatively with its limitations, it still had a, a lot of really excellent atmosphere that just exploded exponentially with Super Metroid. That's still an eminently playable and extremely enjoyable game for anybody that decides to jump into it. And then you have uh, all of the innovations that came with the Metroid Prime series that could serve as a great uh, starting point for an adaptation into live action. There's just so much rich potential with Metroid. And I think there's enough of it there that it could easily support particularly like a limited 10-episode season episodic format. Uh, I would love to see more of Samus. I think she's a character that deserves it. All right. So, Cicero, you playing Chris's game? Um, am I playing Chris's game or am I, mean, I watching I mean, yeah. Chris's Are you watching? Are you watching the show? And we'll just do a simple yes-no right here because I'm, I'm going to do you and I'm going to uh, do Chris and then I'm going to do the audience. Yeah, I mean, well, all right, Chris. 
what what is the style? Is this a live action show? Is this an animated show? Is this anime CG? What what's the what's the artistic style? Ideally, it would be live action, but it's also just as atmospheric as uh, as anything in the Metroid Prime games, in particular. The thing that you get from going on an experience with Samus, both as a player and as an observer, is this overriding sense of loneliness that she has, coupled with extraordinarily huge stakes that she has to answer in order to both do her job and to make sure that there's something that exists when she's finished. I think all of that stuff combined in a more intimate kind of style that the Metroid games usually have when you're plunging through the depths of Brinstar and Super Metroid would just be spectacular in a show format. So, um... Yeah, I would say that I watched the show already. It, as Chris said, it's called The Mandalorian. So yeah, I'll I'll watch the Metroid Lorian as well. <laughs> but what what the what the Mandalorian has that a Metroid show shouldn't, I would argue, uh, is an even quieter protagonist. Like when you're going on the journey in a Metroid game, you don't really know what Samus is feeling. You get the idea of her resolve but right. even though it was like a really open uh segment of criticism in, in metroid other m i actually really liked the idea that her rivalry with ridley is actually a source of enormous anxiety um some people didn't like that because they thought that no she needs to be a stoic hero that's how she needs to respond to everything but when you have the underlying anxiety coupled with the fact that she perseveres regardless um, right. in that kind of intimate format. I think there's a lot of narrative potential. there. And Chris, are you watching beyond good and evil? Anything Cicero recommends I'm going to watch. That's what it comes down <laughs> to. Look, it's not a series that I have an abundance of exposure to, but I absolutely see his point in, in, uh, in the artistic style. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to be watching that show. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of leeway to explore drama in that kind of an environment. So yeah, I'm watching that show. I'm watching both of them. I had no idea the rich history that Samus has. I've played, you know, she is my go-to character on Smash Bros, and that's about yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, I've never played Beyond Good and Evil, but I literally looked up just some of the clips and and game screen captures uh, while we were talking just now, and those characters on screen if i could get star wars level like practical effects mandalorian practical effects level for those characters i'm sold i'm sold on both of them uh so netflix hulu amazon prime someone do it and also <laughs> hey nintendo finally get your act together and release those prime games on the switch please uh, because they are uh, hidden on at least I, the wii and at worst, the GameCube, they're not accessible and they need to be. Those games, in my mind, are all-timers. I'm really confused as to what they're waiting Like, what is the thing that they're waiting for? Every year, what? E3 happens, and I'm like, they've got to announce it this year, right? <laughs> I was like, back when the Wii U was announced, oh, this has to be a system that they, they, they're going to port those into HD, right? You got to. Right. Then the Wii U right. came and went. And now the Switch has been out for th over three years, almost four. Still haven't gotten it. Come on, guys. It's time. Too much time has passed. You need to bring those games forward. 
for the love of everything, just do it, please. Gentlemen, I had a great time. I'm watching the shows. I'm playing the games. Uh, maybe not the games, actually, because they're horror games. So taking that <laughs> one back. I like the ideas behind them. I'm not going to play them because I get way too anxious playing video games anyways. Even the Zelda games scare me at points. So Play Super Metroid, man. Mm. If you haven't played it, you got a Switch. <laughs> it's on Switch Online. Just... Is it? Okay, in. okay. I, I paid for that. They just billed me. So I didn't know I was paying for it, but now there I do. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, I've had a blast this evening. Uh, this was Test Your Might, and have a good night. Thanks, man.